The prophet Jeremiah is often called a weeping prophet. That's understandable because his assignment from the Lord was to tell the people of Judah and Jerusalem that judgment was on the way because of their unbelief and idolatry. And even the temple, the temple in Jerusalem would be destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, would come with his armies and carry them off into exile. Of course, God intended these these words of judgment to bring the people to repentance, but that did not happen. They continued in their unbelief and rebellion. They paid no attention to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah lived through it all, and he did a lot of weeping, and he wrote the Lamentations of Jeremiah. And of course, he had no choice as to what he was, should, what he was supposed to say, because when God called him to be a prophet, he said, whatever I command you, you shall speak. I have put my words in your mouth. But strangely enough, when the judgment began to take place, God began to put different words into Jeremiah's mouth. Not so many words of judgment anymore, but now words of hope and encouragement. The immediate future was bleak. The judgment judgment was beginning. Nebuchadnezzar had already plucked off Daniel and other brilliant young men to take them off to Babylonia to train them for service to him. A few years later, Nebuchadnezzar came a second time, and Ezekiel, the prophet and priest of the Lord, was taken off along with many other prominent leaders. But just at this time, when the judgment was beginning, God began to give Jeremiah, wonderful words of promise and hope of a future that would last into eternity and all centered on the coming of the long-promised Messiah, the son of David. Perhaps you remember that David at one time wanted to build a temple for the Lord But then God told Nathan to tell David that that would not happen. David would not build a house for the Lord, but God would build a house for David. That means he would establish his descendants after him in a continuing dynasty. And in fact, that dynasty would never die out. God promised David, your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. And now Jeremiah was given a repetition, an extension of that particular promise. And we can't imagine Jeremiah weeping when he spoke these words that are recorded in chapter 23, unless they were tears of joy. For this is what Jeremiah said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, 
that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. After King Josiah's death, all the kings were not branches of righteousness. They were idolatrous, followed ways of perversity, and, of course, no repentance on their part. <clears throat> but a branch of righteousness is on his way. We can picture it this way, that the royal family of David was like a mighty tree and now it's cut down so there's nothing left but the stump and yet from that stump is coming a green shoot the branch of righteousness no wickedness in this branch he's perfectly pure and holy in every way what he says is true and what he does is perfect and he will save his people from their sins and the judgment and punishment for their sins, eternal death. So there is still hope for God's people, a sure hope, because remember, Jeremiah was speaking the words that the Lord gave him. And now we come to the most wonderful words of all. Now this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Obviously, this branch from David will be a human being, for he is descended from King David and his family. <clears throat> but now we see what else he is. He is the Lord, the Lord himself, God, true God, true man, one person, the Lord. But notice something else about his name. He is not only the Lord, a branch of righteousness, perfect and righteous in himself, but he is the Lord, our righteousness. Not only righteous himself, but in some way he is our righteousness, so that we are righteous in him. And here we have a short summary of the gospel itself. What does it mean that the Lord is our righteousness? Well, we look at ourselves, of course, we are not righteous. None of the kings in David's line were perfectly righteous except this one. We're all sinful people. And of course, our sin goes back, way back, to our first parents who brought sin into the world. The only descendant from Adam and Eve that was without sin was this Lord, the Lord himself. And now how is he our righteousness? Well, here Jeremiah is saying in a, just one or two words, the whole great plan of salvation, the transfer, the grand transfer. Isaiah spoke of one part of this transfer when he said, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So all human sin goes to this one. 
And then all of his righteousness comes to us. He suffered and died on the cross because our sins were laid on him. And now his righteousness comes to us. So that we are righteous in Jesus. We are holy, pure, and perfect in Jesus. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote to interpret this for us so that there can be no doubt. Paul wrote, he made him to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And all of this is ours by faith in Jesus Christ. Our weeping and Jeremiah's weeping has been turned into laughter and joy. We sing hymn 645, stanzas 1, 4, and 5. <clears throat> 